We are looking at contrast between the wise and the foolish. Uh, here in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 11, we're going to see ruin versus return. Verse 11 says, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. Okay, so let's talk about you. Did you know that you live in a tabernacle? How many knew they lived in a tabernacle? So a few. Well, check it out. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, we know that if our earthly house of this tab- tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And this, this earthly, the earthly house of this tabernacle is talking about the mortal frame, the mortal flesh, okay? Your body is, the Bible calls it an earthly house, a tabernacle. And so the house of the wicked's overthrown, the upright's tabernacle flourishes. Okay, so what are we talking about? Well, one application is, is how you live. You're either living in a way that's supporting your tabernacle or tearing it down. You smoke, you know, three packs a day. Um, you know, that won't send you to hell, but it'll make it look and smell like you've been there. Uh, but you're gonna suffer some consequences. You're not, your tabernacle is not gonna flourish if you're not being a good steward of your body. So health or disease, are you gonna roll a wicked way or, a, or an upright way? Strength or weakness, are you going to support or are you gonna tear down your tabernacle? Health or disease, strength or weakness, okay, so that's, that's the ramifications as it applies to the tabernacle of your flesh but you also have a, an address, you have a place that you live, and, and so the same principle would go for your home. A godly home flourishes, a wicked home overthrows, whether it's by crime, debt, general disrepair, filth, you name it. Uh, people who, in good stewardship, take care of themselves, uh, they take care of their homes, these are places that prosper, whether it's your flesh or whether it's your address. Uh, if, you know, you show me a house where nobody takes care of anything and I'll show you a place that only rats want to live inside of five months, uh, if you don't make repairs, that's a home that will fall down around you. So good stewardship is required. The upright practice good stewardship and so the place of their address, it prospers, it flourishes. So that's you. What about yours? Okay, what about yours? How are you in terms of how you're rolling through life, all that you have connection to, contact with, control over. Let's talk about yours. How are you living your life as you tabernacle in this mortal plane? Are you tabernacling with God? Everything that's yours, everything that you come in contact with, everything that you connect to, everything that you control, are you living for all that you can build in this life, in this world for yourself? Or do you recognize this world is not your home? You're just passing through, you're like Father Abraham. Abraham recognized he was not a permanent resident of planet Earth. He dwelt in tents, he tabernacled. He didn't set up permanent address. He knew that this world was not his home. Here's the proof, Hebrews chapter 11 verse nine. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. He sojourned there. He never built a palace there. As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Why? Verse 10 tells you he was looking for something better. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So that's why he never set down roots. This world was not his home. He was just passing through. What about you? What? 
what are you, in your tabernacling, what are you building for? What is your destination? How are you tabernacling? Abraham never set down roots. He was a sojourner, he was a pilgrim. Well, Galatians 3.29 tells you, believer in Jesus Christ, that, that spiritually you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Romans chapter four, in verses 13 through 16, we find out how faith works and that because of Abraham, check it out, let's pick it up in, in, in verse 16, that it's of faith, it's by God's grace, it's made, this promise is made to all the seed, not to them, not, not that only, not to that only which is of the law, not just of Abraham's physical descendants, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, church. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you, so. Uh. He, like, you ought to walk like your father, right? You ought, to, you ought to live, you ought to tabernacle like your father. You say, I don't know, that sounds good. Well, okay, 2 Corinthians chapter five. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. You have a whole nother life. All things have become new. And then verse 18, you've got a new mission. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Just like Christ in verse 19. You are, you are a minister of reconciliation. God has given to you the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. That's your mission. We, we are ambassadors of Christ. We're here, we're men and women on a mission. We're ambassadors from a far country. We too are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. This world is not our home, we're sojourners, we're passing through. So it's not about the palace that we can get for ourselves on this mortal plane. It's how much kingdom territory we can impact for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how are you tabernacling? Is it with God or is it building your own palace? See for us, we're looking for something better. And it's ultimately fulfilled for us in the person of Christ. And Jesus said it this way, the builder and the maker himself said, John 14, verse two, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The creator of the cosmos, when he comes, he makes sure he's got the occupation carpenter. That's just interesting to me. Jesus makes sure that his job on this earth is one of a builder. Why? Because he is the builder. So the creator of the cosmos, the one, the one who designed and built you and put his, in breathed his life into you, the one that programmed you, made you the, the meat robot running on wetware that you are, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He's making a house for you. I mean, talk about, what was, you remember they used to have this show about uh, uh, the rich and the famous and some guy with the accent, I can't remember his name. Who was it? Wait, somebody raise your hand. Who, who, who knows who it was? Raise your hand. Robin Lee. Robin Lee? Leech. Leech, Robin Leech, yeah, yeah. And he would, you'd go into some fat cat's house and you'd see how they live and, and they've got like a toilet for the dog and a bath for the cat and all, you know, just like, what in the world? I mean, who, how, 
Who has that kind of money to just blow it on stuff like that? Man, that's not, that, that is a doghouse. The creator of the universe is preparing a place for us. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Just check out the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21, 22. That's where I'm gonna live. And praise the Lord. Now, what about the rest of the world? Well, ultimately the world gets to tabernacle with Jesus. It's fulfilled for the world when Jesus rules on David's throne. Acts 15, 15 says, to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle, there it is, of David. This is a dwelling place which has fallen down and I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. So the temple will be restored. Christ will physically rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doeth all these things. So there it is, uh, tabernacling with God. All right, verse number 12. Let's look at destructive assessment. There's an assessment that will destroy you. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Well, okay, we could spend all night counting the ways that seem right to men that are actually destructive. Let's just look at the big ones. False religion, that's a way that seems right unto men that ends up in death. Buddha went away that seemed right. Confucius, Mohammed, Joseph Smith, Ron Hubbard, right? Any religion, salvation by works, that's a way that seems right in the eyes of men. But what are the ends? What are the ends of those ways? It's death. You're saved by grace through faith, not through the works of righteousness that you can do. So false religion is a way that seems right to a man but it'll land you straight in hell. Religion's, religion's nothing. I mean, right, right behind that comes, comes education. UMKC's right behind Catholicism, Islam, uh, uh, the Islamic religions. Uh, education is ever learning, but will never submit to the truth. Romans describes it this way. Romans 1, 20 says, they see God for who he is. And verse 21 says, and when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they got PhDs in denying God, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So instead of worshiping the creator, We've got whole pursuits of education in worshiping creation, putting self, vaunting man before God. Second Timothy 3, 7 describes it as ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Education, you can educate yourself straight to hell. Um, living fast, living fun, living for yourself, living satisfying the flesh. Worldly living that's one of the quickest ways to produce death in your life. It almost got the prodigal son. You remember the story of the prodigal son? He, uh, he, he, wanted, he wanted his way right then and there, and so he gets his inheritance, and he goes out, loses everything, and uh, right before he starves to death, he's ready to eat pig slop. He comes to his senses, and he comes home. Uh, what, what was leading him to the grave? Well, his way on his terms, 
satisfying the flesh. Well, how do we know a way is right? Well, you can test a way just like you can test a, a, a tree, right? You know a tree is right by its fruit. So you can test a way. Where, where, does, it, where does the path actually lead? You can know by the results. Jude 12 tells us about those who, when they feast with you, feed themselves without fear. So they look like clouds, but there's no water, right? They look like fruit trees, trees whose fruit withereth, Jude 12 says, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. What can come out of your life can just be double death. Uh, there, there can be no certainty. There can be no, there can be no um, uh, heritage that comes with it. It's only death and destruction. And everybody's got examples of that in their family. Uh, I, I remember my father telling uh, my little brother that this way that was right in his eyes, and this is how he described it to me. I mean, I, I, I would hear him try to get him to listen to reason, but... But the way he described it to me is he said he told my little brother, look, if you keep doing what you're doing, I'm gonna end up having to visit you in jail. And, and sure enough, uh, thank God for jail because I know for a fact he would not be here today if he hadn't been arrested. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end, it's death. So get this down in your notes. What seems right to the natural man is, is the way to destruction. The fleshly man, a fleshly focused man, what seems right to them is ultimately gonna destroy them. So I'll just talk to you in terms of my own life. If I, if I didn't care about consequences and I just did what I wanted to in the flesh, uh, I would probably, I'd probably be living on a diet of bread, ribeye, Snickers and ice cream. I think that would be it. And uh, it would be wonderful for just a few short years, and then I would die of type two diabetes. That's how that would work. It seems right, but it's a path to death. Um, God doesn't make ugly women. I mean, Solomon, where did he come up with, with a, thousand, a thousand commitments, a thousand women in his life? I guarantee you, you pull that today, you're dying of something soon. That will not pay out. That will not pay off for you. Uh, there's a way that seems right to the fleshly focused man, but the end is death. Jesus says it this way, Matthew 7, 13, enter, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. How many, it's, it's one way, right? It's through one point, there's one door. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They're gonna profess other ways, but inwardly they're there to consume you. It, I mean, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man. Again, false religion. What you're saying makes sense. But the end of that is consumption. It's your destruction. So watch how you roll, right? We need to pray for the lost. We need to ask God to give us a witness. And we need the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives 
of the people that we're dealing with in this world. Jesus promises that when the Holy Ghost comes, the Comforter comes, he reproves the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's, that's what we need because if we, if, if we don't submit and go God's way, well, there's no path to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. All right, verse 13. Let's talk about hurt. Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. And the end of that mirth is heaviness. So people have times of heaviness. Ecclesiastes tells you there, to everything there's a season. And there are gonna be times of, and just follow with me, verse two, death. Um, plucking up, that can be good or bad. To plant, to pluck up. Time to kill, time to heal, time to break down. There's weeping times, verse four. Um, verse six, or verse five, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to lose, verse six, cast away, a time to rend, verse seven. There's gonna be rough times, isn't there? Verse eight, a time to hate, a time to war. So those times come in the life of every person on this planet. In Luke chapter six, verses 25 and 26, you see that sorrow always follows goodness. You, you, you have a good time, don't worry about that. The hard time's coming. Jesus said in Luke six, 25, woe to you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Huh. Woe to you, woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So there, there's a, <laughs> I mean, Man, everybody's bragging on me. Well, whoop-de-doo, they bragged on false prophets. And then, oh, the prophets that are speaking truth, what'd they do to them? In Matthew 23, 32 through 37, Jesus tells the truth on them. Which of the prophets, which of God's prophets didn't you kill? You know, I mean, that's, you, you got a habit of killing the people who are speaking truth. So bottom line, mark it down. You're having a good time, great, enjoy it. Uh, a hard time's around the corner. But know this, laughter does help. Proverbs 17, says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. Uh, we, need, we, we need to laugh, right? It's good medicine. You ought, to, you ought to practice. You ought to, is the laughter pill? Okay, we'll move on here in a second. Okay, so. Ultimately though, okay, ultimately though, we find our help and healing in God. Proverbs, or Psalms 30 verse five says, his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Revelation 21 four says that God one day will wipe away the believer's tears. But for the unbeliever, beware, God will have the last laugh over their life. Proverbs 2, 4 says, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, what? Over the wicked, over their destruction. Uh, God's not willing that any would perish, but whenever a man goes into eternity thumbing his nose at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, um, well, read, read Proverbs 2. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Okay, verse 14, the backslider versus the satisfier. Are you a backslider or a satisfier? Verse 14 says, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. 
So get this down in your notes. The backslider, what, the reason he's a backslider is he forsakes God. A great example of this would be Jonah. Jonah gets a commission, and instead of pursuing the word of God over his life, what does he do? He runs the other way. Uh, he is forsaking the will of God over his life. So get this down in your notes. If you don't follow God, you're gonna follow self. You're gonna follow the flesh. Jonah doesn't wanna see Israel's future destroyer saved from God's wrath over their sin, so he runs, because it's not what he wants. He refuses to submit to what God wants, so he, well, God gets his attention and brings him, and, and when, when Nineveh repents, uh, it hacks Jonah off, and he says, see, I knew you were merciful, you're slow to wrath, you're quick to show mercy, and this is why I didn't wanna come preach, uh, preach uh, judgment, your judgment to this wicked people. See, if you, don't, if you don't get a heart for God's will over your life, well, then you're only gonna do what's right in your own eyes. In Romans eight, okay, so think about Romans seven. What's the conclusion in Romans seven? Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth what? No good thing, okay? My flesh wants what it wants. It's wired the way that it's wired. And so absent following the Lord, it's just gonna go after a path of destruction, self-satisfaction. If I don't follow after God, well then I'm automatically gonna follow after the flesh. And this is what, if you keep going in Romans, Romans chapter eight tells you, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What are your choices in your walk here? You're either walking after the flesh or you're walking after the spirit. Skip down in uh, verse six, to be fleshly minded, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal walk, the carnal mind, the carnal desire, it's enmity against God. Why, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So that they, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, believer, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwell in you. If you don't have the spirit of God in your life, it's because you're not born again, you're not a child of God. So if you have the spirit of God in your life, Walk after him and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're not walking in the spirit, one of two things are, is happening. You're either, you don't have the spirit or you're rejecting the leading of the spirit in the word of God to go away that's right in your own eyes. You're walking after the flesh. See, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. He doesn't follow God's ways, he follows his own ways. He's going away that's right in his own eyes. His own ways are seen in the works of the flesh, and that's listed for you in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 20. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. So here's his, the backslider's own ways, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Sounds like a quality guy to spend time with. No, that's gonna be a miserable time, isn't it? Especially when the murdering's happening. <laughs> of the which I tell you before, as I have told you, also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. See, this is how the lost live. And oh, by the way, it's how your flesh has the potential to manifest its desires. If, it's, if you're filled with the old man, the will of the flesh, if it's cut loose, this is what comes out. And beware of that because you reap what you sow. 
how you invest your life in the flesh, you're gonna get a return on that investment. You keep going to Galatians chapter six, and you see, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Corruption always leads to death in your Bible. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And we've seen this already in Proverbs. Proverbs 131 says, therefore, they, uh, therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Chapter 12:14 says, a man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth and the recompense of, his, of a man's hand shall be rendered unto him. And whether that's for good or for bad, you're going to reap what you sow. So what do you love? What fruit is being born out of your life? What's coming out of you? Well, you can tell what you're gonna reap by what you're sowing, and you're gonna sow the things that you love. So this is the question on the floor. Do you love God? Do you love his word? Do you love talking about God and his word? Uh, Do you love talking to others about what God has said in his word? Or, you know, we can shift gears. Do you, love, do you love God and the things of God? Do you love God and the people of God? Do you love God and the mission of God? Or do you love sports? Because then that's what, that's what you'll spend your life investing in and talking about and, and paying for. Do you like TV, partying, fiction, fornication, self? What do you love? That's where you'll invest your life. And then that's, what you, that's the fruit that you'll reap. So how do we redirect? Well, the Bible's prescription is always repent. And this is what, well, this is what Jesus told believers at Ephesus to do. Revelation chapter two, verse four, uh, he says, you've left your first love. You're loving the wrong things, so the wrong things are, you, you love the wrong things, so the wrong things are being manifest in your life. So what's the solution? Verse five, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove that candlestick out of his place except thou repent. It's just a simple decision. I'm gonna find another love. I'm done with my first love being me, self, me, the things of this world, me, worldly pursuits. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to repent of that and I'm gonna renew my devotion to Christ. All right, verse 15 and we'll wrap up. The dupe versus the diligent. Verse 15, the simple believeth every word. They say there's a sucker born every minute, right? But the prudent man looketh well to his going. So we're talking about dupes. We're talking about suckers who believe anything. Somebody can make something sound good. They buy in without any critical examination. He buys into the hope of a better deal, a better way, and he loses every time because somebody's taking advantage of him. They believe man's word over God's word. And so the solution is be prudent. You know, look that gift horse in the mouth, okay? Somebody may just be handing you a mess to clean up at the end. Be prudent. Have a plan moving forward in life. Believe God's words over man's word. Just because somebody says it with passion or conviction doesn't make it so. Be Berean. This is why we need the Ephesians 4 ministry of God's word over our lives, why? So that we're not like children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of darkness by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive suckers, dupes. We need to, we, we need to be disciples, we need to make disciples. 
We need to take what we've heard among many faithful witnesses and commit them to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We need to train up students of God's word, 2 Timothy 2.15, why? So that they need not be ashamed because they know the word of God. They know how to rightly divide the word of truth. That way when the, the, the predator comes, the false teacher comes, the false prophet comes, they can say, I hear what you're saying, it's wrong because my Bible says, right, we wanna train up diligent, prudent people who look well to their going, not suckers that believe every line that's handed to them. Make sense? Okay, so we've got, we got, my watch says we have 30 seconds. Everybody grab a prayer partner out of, out of, out of Proverbs 14. What is the thing that got you in the fields? Lift that up with your prayer partner. Uh, pr- lift each prayer request up, pray for one another, and then we will be dismissed, all right? Everybody grab a prayer partner. Let's lift this up to the Lord, and then we'll, we'll finish.